Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. A special double edition week of the BCJ Podcast as uh, I didn't think this was all going to fit into one show. So we have expanded it to two today, Monday, uh, in advance of uh, the Wednesday season opener against uh, the team from up I-71. Justin Berg is joining me, and uh, we will we'll talk about the Bearcats. We'll talk about the, the basketball program, Fifth Third Arena, all things Ohio State, and uh, give a little look at the end. We'll take a look at what's coming ahead in the, the AAC, uh, who some of these teams are playing in the out-of-conference, and uh, what type of year we're expecting from the league. Uh, not a, not a full-scale season preview uh, because of the Ohio State game taking up a chunk, but about as close as we're going to get. Uh, we'll probably, once we uh, we get through December, come back and hit a uh, conference preview to uh, to get you ready for conference play. But this is your basketball season preview right now, and it is brought to you by 513shirts.com. If you got to see me at the football game on Saturday, had the BCJ logo the hoodie on, had the new hats. We got hats. We got beanies. We got Bearcat Journal logo. We've got Red Helms. Uh, they've also got some uh, Ohio State white T-shirt themed. Uh, if you can get those in, um, and maybe get that white shirt for uh, the game on Wednesday, might be cutting it close right now. I don't know that he could get it to you by Wednesday, but a lot of great stuff at five one three shirts.com. Uh, they are a proud partner of Bearcat Journal, and they have been doing an outstanding job producing some merchandise for us here over the past couple months. So welcome on board to them, and uh, go to 513shirts.com, click on Partners, you'll see Bearcat Journal, and that's where all the Bearcat Journal gear is. The hats are fantastic. We've got the trucker hats in now. I'm working on, uh, there's a new era uh, stretch fit hat that, that we're going to have and then the beanie, the red and black beanie with the Bearcat logo, the Bearcat Journal logo on it and uh, lots of good stuff so check that out at 513shirts.com thanks as always to those guys for being a partner of Bearcat Journal Justin Berg, what's going on my brother? Feeling blessed over here just uh, getting ready for the season and uh, the wife just got home, so I'm off of daddy daycare duty here for a little while. Just enough time to jump on to the BCJ podcast with you, Chad. That's exciting to know. I'm glad we, uh, we, are, we are finding ways to work around the daddy daycare time because I have been there. And uh, it's rough. It's a tough task, daddy yeah. daycare. It, I mean, it's look, fun. I, yeah, obviously, like, like I said, it's a blessing. And everything. There just are moments like today. I was at lunch um, and I was trying to change the baby's diaper in the bathroom and go to the bathroom myself. And you know how that all goes. You're trying to juggle and make sure she doesn't fall. And I was able to. I was able to pull it off, but uh, it was. Uh, it wasn't easy. So just there's little little things like that. And then you know you try to. There'll be a moment where I'll I'll think that she's occupied and I want to try to get a little writing done or a little research or something and then she'll start whining and I'm like come on just give me five minutes to get this done kid but what are you gonna do this is this is part of it she's six months old so you gotta she is the uh, number one option on this team in this house <laughs> yeah it doesn't change either uh, I, <laughs> mine is now eight I'm sure you might have just heard her in the background as she. Uh... 
stormed upstairs and asked me a question while I'm in the middle of recording. So it doesn't stop, brother. It doesn't stop. But it is that, that most wonderful time of the year, although this year comes at the worst time of the year with the clocks being set back on Saturday, and it's going to be dark outside at 530, uh, which I absolutely loathe. But it's basketball season, Berg. Uh, tomorrow night, basketball season kicks off on Tuesday. You got the Champions Classic to uh, to get you revved up with – Kansas and Michigan State at 7, Kentucky and Duke at 9.30. And then on Wednesday, it's Bearcats-Buckeyes, 6 o'clock in the brand-new 5th 3rd Arena. Uh, we'll get to Ohio State here in just a little bit, Berg, but um, we've had a couple scrimmages. We've had the super-secret scrimmage that nobody is allowed to know about with Notre Dame. We've had an exhibition game with Tusculum that was uh, – not aesthetically pleasing, although it was awesome to uh, to get into the new Fifth Third Arena. I think it was important to get that out of the way so that you weren't dealing with that um, when Ohio State came to town. Uh, I think that would have been a very bad deal if if Wednesday was the grand opening of the arena and there were no kinks worked out and they had the ceremonies and ribbon cuttings and all the things that go with it to get in the way of, of being prepared for Ohio State. Um, what have you seen so far from this team, Berg? What are, what are your general feelings? They probably haven't changed much, uh, but if they have, let us know. Uh, what are you thinking about this Bearcats team for 2018-19? Well, I think that this Bearcats team will have a similar feel to most Bearcat teams where they will eventually, if not right off the bat, play very good defense, and they will struggle to be consistent shooting the basketball. And so what they'll have to do is follow their normal formula, which is to win the turnover battle, win the rebounding battle, offensive rebound, and generally get more shots at the basket than their opponent, especially when they're playing a high major in Ohio State who will get to. But the formula really hasn't changed. It's just they're not, they're, they're not likely to shoot very high percentages. So if you get more shots, the math will allow you to win the game. Um, and so I think that, uh, on that, on those levels, it's going to be, you know, pretty much what you would expect. There'll be some games where they make some shots, but probably more often than not, they're, uh, you know, average in, in the, uh, outside shooting department, you're going to have, as everyone knows, Jaron Cumberland in the alpha role this year. And before we got on the podcast chat, I was looking at some, uh, stats from Mr. Cumberland last year. And um, he led the team in a few categories. He led the team in three-point attempts with 177. Um, and he only shot 34% from that range. And he was at the line 115 times, which was second on the team. So that's decent. But it would be nice to have those numbers flipped a little bit this year. Now, uh, one side note on that would be that, of course, he has to be careful of picking up fouls and in particular charging fouls, especially in the first half. So it's tough to um, ask him to flip those numbers too much. But if he's going to shoot that many threes, um, you would hope that he can shoot higher than 34 percent. He also led the team with 64 turnovers and he led the team with 76 personal fouls last season. So. Some stuff to clean up from last year, and he'll have the ball in his hands a, a whole lot more um, this season, of course, and especially with um, you know dictating the action, kind of the point guard situation that that this this program has at the moment. Um, he'll be asked to do a lot of the distributing and facilitating. So, 
So I think overall, you're going to see similar stuff. You're just going to be different people with the ball and different people taking the shots. Um, obviously, Cumberland it provides a, a, an interesting look as a go-to guy. Uh, we've talked about this a lot. Because of his ability to pass, uh, he's going to be able to, to handle some of the, the double teams and, and defenses loading the box on him. Um, what do you think in terms of him as an alpha um, – the scoring part, you know, is going to be expected of him, and he's going to have to score at a pretty high clip. I, I would guess around 15, 14, 15 points a game consistently. Um, but what does he bring to this team in terms of your best scorer also being your best facilitator? Yeah, that's going to be huge because, again, this team is not going to shoot the ball very well overall. Um, just there's just not that many shot makers on the team from from outside, especially in the uh, front court this season, which is it's a big change from last season with Gary Clark and Kyle Washington. So I think he's going to have to beat defenses with the pass, and uh, most notably, or not, I don't know if notably is the right word, but 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 mostly trying to get the ball towards the rim. I think this team is going to need to continue the trend that they established last season, which was actually getting to the line fairly often they were in the top 100 in free throw rate for the first time in the Mick Cronin era last season. And that's going to have to continue, um, to, to be effective. So, so yeah, so he's, you know, I think he's going to have his nights where he shoots the ball well. Um, and he's, you know, he can score in the mid range. He can hit outside jumpers. He can get into the paint score at the rim. And, uh, you know, if they can get some transition opportunities for him, that's even better because he's pretty much devastating in that regard. But but when the game slows down and we'll see this on Wednesday night plenty and there's, you know, 10, 12 seconds on the shot clock and, and he's got the ball at the top of the key, he's going to have to find a way to work with a pick and roll and get the ball to somebody uh, for a high percentage shot. And so um, he's going to have a lot of responsibility this year, but I think he's ready for that. You know, I talked to his high school coach. Uh, Mike Noska, and he he said that this you know this is something that he thrives in this role, and and it is unique, like you said. I mean, mo- a lot of times most teams alphas are guys that are going to take the shot, and they're 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 going to be their leading scorers. And you know, I think there's a there's a there's actually a possibility that he doesn't lead this team in scoring, and that might not be a bad thing. I mean, Kane Broom may end up averaging a point or two more, but but if if, if Cumberland is distributing the ball and producing enough points, um, then he'll be effective in his role. Yeah, and you mentioned Kane Broom, and I thought what we saw in the scrimmage, um, he he didn't have it going the entire night. But what he did was when they made that twenty to nothing run that kind of put the game away. Was he was the go to guy, and he was being very aggressive in that situation. Um, I think it's going to be critical for him to understand those, you know, those little windows when all of a sudden he's got it going and he's hot and not to back off from that, just to embrace that uh, and kind of maybe for five minute stretches, go back to his sacred heart days where he averaged 24 points a game and say, you know what, right now I got it rolling. I'm getting us some buckets and putting us on a run. Right. And and within that run, he scored 15 points uh, in the second half the other night. And seven of those came from the foul line. He was seven for eight. And that's something that to, to key in on as far as the stat sheet this season because he only averaged two free throw attempts a game last year. Now he only played 20 minutes a game. But in his um, his sophomore year at Sacred Heart when he scored all those points, he was right up under seven free throw attempts per game. And so and he's a, he's a 70, 75% free throw shooter. So 
I think, again, just with the theme of this team, they're going to need to get to the foul line. I, I think really what it comes down to um, with, with Kane and really with, with, with most of the players is they need higher percentage shots. And, and you ask Mick Cronin, you know, what really decides games and he'll tell you that it's layups and free throws um, a lot of the time. And so um, I think that's going to be a key to, uh, on Wednesday night, but, but, you know, Kane was getting to the line and he, he's finished at the rim and with a couple floaters as well. So it wasn't like he was making, he was over four from three, yeah, with 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 that little spurt he had. So, um, you know, he's he's explosive and he's going to need to be because, again, like you said, there's going to be a lot of attention on Jaron. And then uh, on the you know, with the rest of the guys on the floor, um, not a lot of shot makers. Yeah, um, I, I think there is a, a little bit to be concerned about right now as we get ready for Ohio State that Cumberland and Broom between the, the Notre Dame super secret scrimmage and the the exhibition game, they haven't made a three in either of those. Now, maybe that's sign that, you know, they're ready to bust out, but uh, both were shooting really well in practice up until about a week and a half ago, and both have gone kind of cold. Um, they've got to have those two guys, I would think, at least above 37, 38% from three. Yeah, and that's the thing. You look across the roster and you, you ask yourself, who is going to be – a 39, 40% free third or three point shooter this season. I mean, you know, the last few seasons they've had um, either Kyle or, or Gary Clark last season. Um, Jacob was around 40 his sophomore year. And they've had, so they've had guys, Kane was close to 40 last year, but it's going to be tough if those guys don't do it. Then you're asking a guy like Trevor Moore who may not get consistent minutes and it will be hard for him to find a rhythm consistently to shoot a high percentage um, and then the other guy would, the other candidate would be Justin Jennifer, who you would think could shoot somewhere in that range, especially considering that most of his shots are pretty much wide open. So it's just tough to, to really look through the roster and say, okay, these guys are going to be, um, you know, threats from the outside and they're going to stretch the defense. It's just, it's going to be hard to have great spacing against teams that, that understand how to defend, like, especially looking at this game on Wednesday and we'll get to it is is with a, a coach like Chris Holman, who, you know, they they are really good at protecting the paint in his day, you know, good defensive rebounding. They just, they don't gamble a whole lot. And if you don't have guys that, that make them run out to the line, clog stuff up, now you're not getting to, to the foul line, you're not getting layups and free throws, um, and it just becomes a, hey, let's let's throw it up there and hopefully we can go get it off the glass. And against the, the better opponents, they're not just going to let you, you know, run wild, um, with second chance points. So it's just, there's, there's a lot of question marks in the shooting department and the, the, the effects of that, you know, can, can muck some things up on offense. Um, a guy that I have continuously said for me is, is kind of the key to the team this season, I think is red shirt junior forward, Trey Scott. Um, you're not going to replace Gary Clark, but, <laughs> but, Trey Scott has got to have a, a quality junior season, a high quality junior season to one, give this team a third option and to two, give them a guy, even if he's not necessarily a, a traditional back to the basket guy, you've got to have a guy that can be that, that third guy that if Cumberland and Broom are cold or, or, you know, somebody's in foul trouble or whatever the case may be, you need a consistent third guy. Trey Scott needs to be that guy for this team. It's his fourth year in the program. 
yes, it's been tough for him, you know, basically being Gary Clark's caddy for three years, <laughs> but it's, it's time for him. Right. And he, it's, it's still yet to be determined really what his game is, especially on the offensive end. I think we, we know that he'll probably be a good rebounder. He grabbed 10, nine or 10 the other night. I remember it was nine. It looks like they changed it to 10 officially um, in, in limited, limited minutes. So I think he'll, I think he'll be able to get a bucket or two on putbacks and then you're getting to the foul line off of that. And, but, but as far as, Hey, let me throw it to this guy and we're going to make something happen. It, it, that remains to be seen. And you look at a guy like, like Clark and not only could he, you know, score from six, eight feet and in and off the dribble or with his back to the basket, but he also was such a great passer that he, he set his teammates up a lot of times. And, and that was one of the things that the coaching staff loved about Trayvon when they recruited him was that he was a, a very good passer. So, you know, it, it, he's going to probably just, it's just going to, he's going to be like the whole team. There's just some nights he'll have it and he'll, he could have a double double. He could have a 15 and eight type of game and other nights he's probably going to do what he did against Tusculum and have four points on two for seven. And, and I don't believe he got to the foul line. So I think, you know, it, it, it's just going to be uh, a wait and see with a guy like him. And so if he's not your third option, then you look to, you know, like I mentioned to Trevor Moore, can he maybe come off the bench and bang a few in uh, Keith Williams as a sophomore is an intriguing guy because um, if the game gets up and down a little bit, then he can be really effective in the uh, the open floor. But again, in a lot of these games, especially when you're playing a team like Ohio State or, or any of these teams, it's going to come down to the half court and, and you're going to have to find a way to be effective if you're a guy like Keith, if you're a guy like Trevor, if you're not getting your sweet spot looks. And um, that also applies to Trayvon. So, you know, just like anything with a, a lot of teams in the country this year lost some key people and UC is no different, but um, yeah, Trayvon is, he's going to give you good versatile defense. He's going to give you rebounding. He's going to give you energy and leadership. Um, you know, he, he's just, we don't know about his scoring. He did in the, uh, the closed scrimmage that happened uh, a couple weeks back, the first scrimmage, inter-squad scrimmage, uh, he was up near 20 points. And then in the, uh, red and black scrimmage was up near 20 points. He was the leading scorer against Notre Dame with 16 points. So everything was trending in the right direction, but then had an off night against Tusculum and he only scored four. Yeah, but then he, he got in, but foul, he got in trouble. foul trouble early. Yeah. Um, never really found a flow, but if that guy from, you know, the two scrimmages and the, the, the super secret close scrimmage, if that's the guy Cincinnati's going to get, even if it's two out of three nights, I feel a lot better about this team. Now, if, yeah. it's, if it's one out of three nights, they're going to have to grind their way to the NCAA tournament, which, I mean, they know how to do. But, yeah, um, you know, it, it's interesting. Mick, Mick used a, an analogy today, um, and it's it's very fitting for this team. A lot of guys are in new seats on the bus. You right. Know, if you've ever been on a team, there's kind of a hierarchy of, uh, of who sits where on the bus. And a lot of these guys did not have uh, seating preference <laughs> so far in their careers at Cincinnati. Now they've got seating preference. And they're, they're going to go from guys that gave you four minutes, five minutes here and there. And then, you know, their, their task was kind of don't screw it up. Yeah. And now their task is you got to go win a, help us win games. You're now an important factor in whether we win or lose. And that's a huge jump at this level. I mean, yeah, you, 
you count on and and being in a developmental program, there is a reliance on those guys taking the next step and continuing to to fuel the machine. But very rarely in this, you know, kind of layout in the in the in the structure of the way this is done, very rarely do you lose your top three guys, and not just your top three guys, but outside of Jaron, clearly your top three guys. You know, guys that are at 30, 35 minutes a game, and especially if, when it's a big game, those guys are on the floor. The Most of this roster has not played in those type of games, and it's going to be a learning process. That, that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, it's uh, again, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, this is just – this season is there's it's such a up in the air, who knows type of stuff. And I, I we talked the other night, and um, what I, the, the the analogy I said, or I don't know if it's an analogy, but if you look at you figure you know what you're going to get from Cumberland and Broom and Jennifer for the most part, but everything after that is a lot of ifs, maybes, and hopefullys. And it's going to be some nights you're going to get it, some nights you're not, and which puts even more pressure on those three that I mentioned, and then you know, trickling down to Trayvon and Nasir, that they're going to have to be rock solid on the defensive end. They're going to have to impose their will on the offensive glass, and they're going to have to to really limit the mistakes and, and the silly fouls. So just, you know, the, the, the margin for error is going to be a lot less than it's been the last couple of seasons, but I think that's no shock when you lose the type of talent that you lost. Yeah. Um, well, let's get to Ohio State here. Uh, Berg does have – an article coming up tomorrow uh, that will will look at Mick Cronin's concern for the lack of shot blocking, which I think is a pretty large concern for this team when you consider one how good they've uh, one of the reasons they've been one of the elite defenses in the country is their two point defense, and you're an elite two point defense in large part because of rim protection. Um, so Berg's got a, an in depth look on on that topic uh, Wednesday. Obviously, he'll have an Ohio State preview. Um, lots of good stuff, and then we'll have full coverage front to back uh, from the Ohio State game on Wednesday, the season opener. But before we get to the Buckeyes, let's talk about Trace Pontas Coffee. They sell freshly roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans they ship to you has the roast date clearly printed on it, so you know that your coffee is fresh. Fresh roasted coffee beans taste the best. There's a huge difference between drinking coffee that has been freshly roasted versus even just a few weeks old. All of the coffee you find in grocery stores and even gourmet food stores has been sitting there for weeks. Trace Pountas offers a unique opportunity to drink coffee immediately after it has been roasted and shipped directly to your home. You can find out about Trace Pountas coffee by going to www.tracepountas.com slash coffee. That's T-R-E-S p-o-n-t-a-s dot com slash coffee all coffee orders are roasted fresh and shipped out immediately they offer 12 ounce bags and uh and whole bean and ground coffee they also offer k-cups you can choose between light medium dark and french roasts and what you want to do is you go to the trace poundhouse website you sign up for a coffee subscription and get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one two or four weeks that's your choice when you sign up for a subscription at checkout, enter Bearcats, B-E-A-R-C-A-T-S, and that will get you 20% off every bag of coffee in your subscription. 
Once again, that's at checkout, www.tracepountas.com slash coffee. Make your order, go to checkout, enter Bearcats as the promo code, and you'll save 20%. It's good stuff. My wife uh, my wife has been plowing through the, the bags that they have sent us. We get one every two weeks, and she, as I have mentioned, uh, was was the type that she would go out Berg and she would she like if you know she, there's a Starbucks she'll hit Starbucks for coffee, but she was never really a home coffee drinker, and almost every time I go downstairs in the morning now there's uh, there's Trace Pountas in the coffee pot, uh, the coffee pot that we had never actually used it was only <laughs> here for when her mom visited. That's a good endorsement right there, strong, very strong. So let's get to the Buckeyes. Uh, a lot of similarities to Cincinnati. They lost their best player in Keata Bates-Diop. They lost their leader in Jay Sean Tate. Um, they, they lost their top, basically three of their top four guys. Um, they're young. They're inexperienced. They've got a lot of freshmen that are going to be playing in their first actual college game on the road in a 12,012-seat arena uh, that's going to be insanity and it's it's going to be a very interesting game because um, C.J. Jackson and Caleb Wesson, I think, are two guys that you know pretty much. It's similar to how we're talking about uh, Jaron Cumberland and Kane Broom. You know you've got two guys that are battle-tested and are, are going to be pretty much ready for, for what the season throws at them in terms of top end of the roster type guys, and then – much like Cincinnati, they've got a lot of questions, including a talented freshman class. But like I said, a freshman class that's going to be playing its first game uh, ever on a in a on a real collegiate stage. Yeah, and but one guy that uh, that Chris Holtman was able to bring over to the program that can stabilize things. A, a third guy that can is is Keyshawn Woods, and he's a six foot three left hander. He transferred from transferred from Wake Forest, right? Good shooter, nice touch. Um, it's pretty strong. He's old and tested. He he, he started, at, I believe, he started at uh, Charlotte as as uh, his career, and so that gives you a backcourt of of Woods and Jackson to go along with a freshman that uh, the Cincinnati coaching staff knows plenty about, and Luther Muhammad, uh, who's uh, number seventy nine in the class um, per 24-7 sports. He's a you know, a freshman out of New Jersey, he looks like he's got really good handles. He's pretty explosive, tough kid. So, you know, they've got their backcourt. They've got a couple experienced guys, and then a and then a young guy. But, but you you mentioned Caleb Weston. I think he's he's a guy that um, you know Cincinnati doesn't have as as a as a face up guy who can shoot. He's um, really efficient around the basket. You know, good offensive rebounder. Just a, he's a he's a load down there. He's listed at six nine two seventy. Um, he's a sophomore. So. Um, it's an interesting matchup because I've been thinking about this the last few days, Chad. Did you ever play the card game Euchre when you were growing up or still? Okay. Oh, yeah. So I look at it like, you know, the, these teams are pretty evenly matched, but, but I think UC probably has the best player on the floor, um, in Jaron Cumberland. So they, they have, if, if the, if the Trump was hearts, they would have the right Bauer. They would have the Jack of hearts, but then you could look at the Buckeyes and say, well, Caleb Wesson, CJ Jackson, and, um, you know, Cameron Woods are potentially the freshmen. They might have the next three trump cards. And then you have Kane Broom. And then, you know, the nine or the ten, who knows? It could be Trayvon Scott for UC or it could be, you know, somebody else for the Buckeyes um, that, that you're not expecting. And just it could go the, – the hand could go any number of ways depending on, 
you know, who leads and, and who has what cards left in their hand as far as, you know, off, off suited cards. It's just there, you know, so if you have a hand where you have the best card and maybe, you know, another Trump or a low Trump too, but the other team has four Trump, you could lose that hand. Um, so it, it's, it's really, it really comes down to just, I think it's, there's so many things that, that could sway in the Buckeyes favor, but then the fact that the game's played at Cincinnati, that's a, that's a factor for them. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, it's just going to probably come down to who, whichever team gets the most shot attempts because both teams defend well and um, both coaches are smart and you know both coaches are going to put guys on the floor who, who are going to take care of the ball. Um, the one thing that to, that could help Cincinnati and is, is that the Buckeyes did have some turnover troubles in their exhibition game. And I think, like I said, you know, Cincinnati's going to have to find a way to get some turnovers and, and get some more shots up. So um, it's, it's interesting. There, there's, there's a number of ways to look at it, but I think when all is said and done and you're coming down the stretch, um, it's good that Cincinnati has Jaron Cumberland making some decisions for the Buckeyes. They have CJ Jackson um, and then they have a, a guy in the post that can do things too. So it, it's, it could. It, I think they could play this game on on Wednesday and then play it again on Thursday, and you probably get two different results. Yeah, I think that's the the. I think these teams at at least at this point, you know, opening day are going to be pretty close. I think both teams. I'd love to see them, you know, rematch later in the year when both coaches kind of figured out what they've got and how it works together and how it fits together. Um, I think it you, you'd have different outcomes pretty much throughout. Um. It's interesting though. You mentioned Keyshawn Woods. Kyle Young started for them in the exhibition game over Woods, and Woods was one I heard he was really good in the uh, the scrimmage against Xavier, uh, where they beat Xavier by I think ten in the super secret scrimmage. Uh, but I know they're high on Kyle Young, kind of that wing forward shooter type. Um, he had nine points, and and three rebounds, one assist. It'll be interesting to see if Woods is back in the starting lineup um, or if we get Kyle Young uh, in that position. Maybe it's a situation where uh, Woods gives him maybe a little spark off the bench. So maybe that's what's Holtman, what Holtman is looking at there. Um, yeah, he, he said – he sorry, he, he just – his press conference, he thought that that was a, the better defensive lineup and maybe it was because – um, Young gives him more length. He's six eight. Keyshawn's six three. And um, evidently, this uh, Luther Muhammad is good enough that he's going to be in the starting lineup, even though you know he's not not very tall um, to go along with their point guard. So you would have to go six two, six three, six three if you had those three guards. Um, and yeah, and Woods is Woods could probably bolster their second unit, and I'm sure he'll play plenty on Wednesday. The, the the one thing I what, that was a problem for them, and they looked like they cleaned it up a little bit, you'd expect in their exhibition game, uh, they fouled apparently a ton in the Xavier Super Secret scrimmage. Uh, from what I heard, there was 80 free throws shot between the two teams. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> Caleb Wesson, I think, had eight fouls in that game. <laughs> Obviously, coaches set the rules. They, you know, they decided that they weren't going to play with foul outs. Uh, but he's a guy, I mean, it's going to be a little bit difficult for Cincinnati in that they don't have like a back to the basket score, but if you're attacking the rim, I think you can get Caleb Wesson in foul trouble. And if you get him off the floor, that's a totally different Ohio state team. So that, that for me would be something to watch for as well. 
Yeah, the the backup for him is is Micah Potter, and um, you know he's he's kind of similar to Wesson in, in, in a few ways, but um, you know another big body and he can step out and shoot it, and and you know, he has a pretty good rebound rate as well. But yeah, I mean he's as of yet he hasn't he hasn't proven to be as good as Caleb, so it's going to be a drop off. But I think you're they're both skilled, and that's the thing. I mean you're looking you look at their front court versus Cincinnati's front court. Um, you have to give Ohio State's front court the edge in the on the offensive side and then you know looking at the backcourt um you know it, it, it's hard to tell you know who's going to get the better of who in that regard but it's a it you know i think the, the funny thing to see um holtman after they turned the ball over 21 times in their exhibition he was saying how he's like if you if you turn the ball over you're just not going to play i'm just not going to play you and um you know and mick mentioned today he said they, they he stands for a lot of the same things i mean it really is you know, mirror mirror images and in, in a lot of facets with this matchup. Well, it, it's no surprise that these two coaches get along. Yeah, because their philosophies are almost identical. Exactly. Um, can you can you um? I, I imagine you know a little more about Luther Muhammad than I could find out. Can you can you give you know your your knowledge and, and scouting report on him? Um, underrated in terms of what he can do on the offensive end, in large part because he was a, a big-time defender. Um, and you don't see that a lot, especially at the AAU level. A guy that really, you know, gets in his stance and, and, and is trying to take a guy out of the game. Uh, you don't see that a ton. So he, he built his reputation on that, but over the years became a good passer, became a guy that could shoot He's not a knockdown shooter, but if you leave him open and in rhythm, he's going to burn you. Um, he can get to the rim and finish. He's really strong, plays hard. Uh, there's a reason Cincinnati was on him for a long time, and it's because, you know, it's no surprise he ended up with Chris Holtman, what we were just saying. Like, he's the type of wing uh, that, that you've seen at Cincinnati over the years. And... Um, he's going to be a challenge. I don't know, you know, what he's going to be like on night one, but I would imagine when we're doing this preview a year from now, we're going to be talking a lot about Luther Muhammad, uh, on the return game to Ohio state next year. So, so would that, would that be cause for concern? If I would imagine he probably will be matched up on Kane broom as far as the defensive end. And if he's, if he's the type of defender that you're describing, then that could nullify some of the things that that Kane can do, and not maybe he won't let him get open as, as often, and that could that could hurt UC's offense. So that's something to watch. You know, the matchup between Muhammad and Broom at the shooting guard position. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, it's a lot of it's going to be how ready is he to defend in a system, uh, because you know we see it every year. Guys that that have that reputation still take time to develop into a great college defender. He's got the tools, but does he have the the basics of what Holtman wants him to do, you know, mastered yet? So there could be, you know, some ways that Kane Broom can take advantage of him, but it's definitely uh, because he is, you know, bigger and stronger than Broom, you know, that could be a, a trouble spot uh, for Broom as he tries to figure out, you know, what he needs to do to, to beat this guy, uh, especially in – the first, you know, 10, 15 minutes of the game. Yeah, and, and the other question for Holtman would be, you know, who does he have that guards Cumberland? I mean, he, I guess it would be between Andre Wesson or Kyle Young, depending on 
you know, as far as the starting lineup. And then going to the bench, they have a, a sophomore named Musa Jallo, who's 6'5", and can guard multiple positions. So uh, that could that could dictate who plays out of that three spot. And if I think if Jallo plays, he's not as good offensively as as uh, Young or Wesson. So, and Holtman generally does go with the best defensive players, just like Mick does. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see who he, who he ends up deciding will be his best shot at defending Jaron. And then, of course, I'm sure you know he, he a lot of the same stuff on defense too. I don't, you know, I'm sure a lot of help and and extra attention paid to Jaron um, on on Ohio State side. So that would be you know, something to watch is to see who he decides to put on the, on UC's two best guys. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's what we talked about. They're, they're very similar. So, um, interesting. What you got? I got breaking news. Ohio state's Micah Potter will transfer per release. Oh, really? So you can take him off that scouting report, Berg. I'm just going to delete him right now. <laughs> Breaking news as we're doing the podcast. Wow. As okay. We're previewing Ohio State. Micah Potter is out. So if he's not going to, so if he's not going to, oh, he's going to transfer, then that would mean that they may have to lean on uh, Jaden Ledee, a 6'9, 230 pound freshman who's, who's a borderline top 100 kid. I don't know what you know about Jaden. Not a ton. Um, okay. He wasn't a guy that I got to see a lot of. Uh, long, athletic, but a completely different dude than Caleb Wesson for sure. Yeah. Huh. Other than that, I'm not sure what other big guys they'll have. But, you know, I think they I, – I guess, I mean, size-wise, they would have to lean on Jaden Ledee. Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to look through and see if there's anybody else. But I, I don't think I'm missing anybody. I think they – They'll probably have to just. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. I was expecting Potter to play a pretty good, pretty big role, 15, 15 plus minutes, um, at the at the five spot. And, you know, whenever Wesson comes out. Yeah, I mean, really, that leaves Young, Kyle Young is the only guy listed over six six on their roster, and he's more of a stretch forward than he is an inside guy. So, that's definitely a big hit to uh, to their depth on the interior. So. You know, I would imagine that. Wow, you're right. There's no one else. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I thought I might be missing somebody, but I, I. That's all they got. They got a lot. They have a lot of guards. They have a lot of wings. So they could potentially just, you know, play some small ball and 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 switch everything and do something. You know, do some different kind of. I don't. Does Holtman? Is Holtman pretty much man to man? I think he's he doesn't do a t- ton of wrinkles, does he? Not a ton. I mean, it's yeah. it's pretty straightforward, or has been in the past. Um, so, I mean, you can expect a pretty pretty standard, traditional man to man, but it's physical. I mean, we you know, if yeah. you remember those Butler games, those things were bloodbaths. Yeah, and th- so. but they don't have they, he doesn't have those those inside guys like he had though. I mean, he's got. I mean, I know obviously Caleb Wesson is a big body. His brother's pretty stout for he's only six six, but I'm sure he plays a lot like those those guys on those Butler teams, but, um, I don't, I don't, I don't see a lot of the, those body types on the roster. So, it, but I'm sure they'll be fine. You know, the, the general principles keep you out of the paint, help recover all that stuff, box out. So, but I mean, if you, if you take a big man out of the rotation, that could definitely help Cincinnati on the offensive board front, which I think is going to be a major key if they're going to win this game. 
Yeah, I mean they they gave up 16 offensive rebounds to a D2 team in their exhibition. So, and from what I heard, Xavier was really good on the offensive glass as well. And mm. now now you've got a foul prone center, and you know really nobody that you trust yet behind him. Um, so that that's a pretty big development for us. Wow. To, uh, to break here on the the podcast. Yeah. I mean, you you turn you tune in this podcast. You're going to get some breaking news if it happens. Even <laughs> even though even though it's even though when the podcast airs, it's already a, it would already have broken. But that's all right. Well, I mean, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna I'm gonna get this up as soon as we finish, so it won't be too far behind. But yeah, I mean that you know that's that's big news. I mean that that's a guy that that played 29 games last year and average four or five points and a couple rebounds a game. And, and he was a big part of their depth on the, the interior. So God, that's weird. That's such yeah. a weird timing. And I'm waiting here back from um, Ohio state's 24 seven writer. He actually did contact me. I'm, I asked him a few questions and um, maybe I should follow up real quick before he responds and ask him what he knows about that situation. But not that it really matters. He, he's right. going to be there. Or he's not, but you know, I mean, it, it, it is, it is a uh, curious timing. That's for sure. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, prediction, Berg. What are you? What are you feeling? What are you feeling your bones on Bearcat Buckeyes? Uh, I'm not making. A, I don't want to make a prediction. I, I, I Berg, think you, I, this right, is a my, podcast. I need a damn prediction. <laughs> all right, I predict that if Cincinnati gets more shots at the basket than Ohio State, then they'll win. Oh by by, God. I think they're going to need at least four or five more shots. You know, I just brought I just brought Zach Tobler on board. I might replace you with him on this podcast. He'll make a damn prediction. I'm sure, <laughs> sure he will. But you know, I, it, yeah, I like I mean, what I, I saw from somebody earlier today. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go Cincinnati 62, Ohio State 61, as a re- <laughs> as a reminder to them why they haven't been to Cincinnati in 98 years. In 61, 62, yeah. The two, yeah, the two years yeah. they won the national championship. Uh, that's, I like that's, that. I, I think that's uh, fitting. Yeah, I think that's it, fitting. It, yeah, I, I, I'm sure points are going to be hard to come by in this in this one for sure. So that that sounds about right. Um, Whoever I stole that from, sorry, I'll give you credit, uh, but I like it. I like I like where the thought process is. Sixty two, sixty one Bearcats. I think it was Ryan right. Pence. I think it was Ryan Pence actually. Okay. Um, AAC. It's an interesting league this year, Berg. Um, it, it is not like it has been in the past, at least I don't think, in the past two or three years where there's a clear two or three teams at the, the very top of the conference and then kind of a huge gap between the middle and another huge gap at the bottom. Uh, I think there's any of seven teams – six, seven teams, if you told me they won this conference, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I think I, I think yeah. the consensus is, you know, Cincinnati, because of their consistency, Central Florida, because of the trio of B.J. Taylor and Taco Fall and, and Aubrey Dawkins, who's coming off of injury, and then Houston, because of Armani Brooks and Corey Davis and, and some of the pieces that they're returning, that those three um, are the top three. I don't see a big gap between those three and Memphis and UConn and maybe Temple now that Obi Echinionia is gone. Um, or yeah. even I know everybody's, you know, questioning Wichita State. Greg Marshall's still a really good coach. I There's no way they're going to finish eighth or ninth in this league. I don't see it. I mean, I, I would be floored if that happened. 
uh, Tulsa with Sterling Taplin can give teams some fits. I don't, and I don't, don't forget about Daquan Jeffries. Yeah, I, I don't think that they would win the league, but if they jumped up and finished third, fourth, fifth in the league, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, you haven't even mentioned SMU yet. And SMU. And, and uh, again, depth is a huge issue for them. But they still have high-end talent at the top of that roster. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of teams, I think, when we get into mid-January and, and early February, you're going to see some results that, that you know, you go, well, hey, that team's starting to get it together. Or that team's playing really well. And now look at them and where they're at in the conference. I think I don't think this is going to be a conference that, you know, teams win with a 16-2 and two or 15-3 and three record this year. No, and I think the if since it's going to be so jumbled up, the way the teams are going to be able to separate themselves as far as trying to get an NCAA tournament bid is in the non-conference. And you start looking through some of the teams and seeing who they play, and they have you know most of the teams have a few chances. Um, I mean, like Central Florida plays Alabama at home, Missouri on the road. Other than that, they have a little tournament they're in here in mid-November where they could pot- potentially play West Virginia. So. Wake Forest also potentially. So if, okay. yeah. if they if they end up with Wake Forest, West Virginia, Alabama, Missouri, that's a it's a decent out of conference. And then I believe they also play NKU, and yeah, they, that yeah. that could be a trap game for them. Um, Houston, BYU, Oregon, Oklahoma State, LSU, St. Louis. That's pretty solid. Um, we got Memphis with LSU, uh, Texas Tech, Tennessee. And then potentially Oklahoma State, Villanova, and Florida State or LSU again. Um, UConn, Syracuse, Oregon or Iowa, Arizona, Florida State, Villanova. They're going to be tested. So, I mean, there is some – this league is starting to step up and and kind of mirror what Cincinnati has done with their non-conference scheduling. Yeah, and so it just depends on who does what. I mean, if you're – if you're serious, if you're if you're Central Florida and you're serious about getting to the tournament this year, then you better you better take care of Alabama at home. You should probably beat Missouri on the road, and you know you better um, you know have a good showing if you end up playing West Virginia. And then, like you mentioned, some of these other teams. I mean, UConn. You just because because I think the way the conference is going to go is it's going to be hard to prove a whole lot because it's just who's who are you proving it against? You're proving it against somebody who's just like you. If everybody's got between five and seven losses or something in the top six or whatever it ends up being, then, I mean, you know, what, what's your big marquee win when you get to the conference play, unless there's a team in there that, you know, that did some big things in their non-conference schedule. It's just, if this, if this conference wants to take the next step and, and be considered as, you know, close to some of the power five stuff, power six, whatever it is, then they got to start proving against those teams. And Cincinnati is definitely one of those, you know, one of those teams that needs to do that because they're they've got a lot of opportunities and the thing about thing for Cincinnati is that some of these are at home most of these are at home and you know it's 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 like you got to hold serve against these good teams at home and you know maybe if you lose on the road to a Mississippi State it's not going to kill you if you can beat Ohio State at home but if you lose to Ohio State and Mississippi State then all of a sudden the, the committee's like okay great like can you beat anybody right um, I, I was asked an interesting question today or last night, but it, it came out today on the skinny podcast. I'm going to ask you <clears throat> conference record. If I set the Cincinnati 
conference record at 12 and a half. Are you over or under wins? Under. So you think less than 12 and a half. What, what, you got them 12 and 6, 11 and 7? Yeah. Yeah, I think twelve and six. I, I think there. I think there's enough, enough uh, challenging at the top, challenging uh, opponents at the top of the league, and then I think there's there's the potential to to drop a game or two, or at least one in there somewhere where you, you maybe maybe you do a Tulsa or somebody that that they would generally beat just because of the offense. I think there's going to be games where just getting to sixty is going to be pulling teeth as fans are used to in the past. But um, you know they they could they could go on the road just against somebody and just can't make anything and so yeah i i was leaning towards 12 and 6 that's what ken palm believes ken palm actually was right along with me i I thought i was thinking nine losses uh six in conference was was what i was feeling with this team so that's you got them at 21 and 9 22 and 9 22 and 9 yeah 31 22 and 9 i think they find a way to get to 23 24 wins um but that relies heavily on what they do in December. Yeah. Because, you know, if they're coming out of December with four losses, five losses, making the tournament's going to be a struggle. It needs to be three at most. Um, yeah. You can, I don't think you can really afford much more than than three at that point. Right. I mean, if you start looking at the games – and you're you, obviously the, the 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 ones that jump out of the three at home, Ohio State, Xavier, and UCLA, and you pretty much you're going to have to to one. get two of two of those. You, I mean, it's and that's asking that's asking quite a bit. I mean, these are some talented teams um, that you know some some programs that that can score the basketball, which as we know gives Cincinnati trouble. And then because if not, then you're then you're asking them you're you're almost demanding that they go win at Mississippi State. That's going to be tough. Not going to be easy. And I don't think that, I mean, UNLV is not what they were or have been, but that game in Vegas isn't going to be easy. And then uh, they, they can they can get rolling and score some points, and then, you know, you go on a drought and you could be asking for it. And, and that's a rough week because you go at UNLV, then you come home and you play Northern, uh, who I think is the favorite. You know, the coaches voted right state, but I think Northern is the favorite in the Horizon League. Uh, and, and they're going to be, you know, they're going to have that game circled. That's a huge game for John Brandon and his program. And the reason I think that's dangerous is because up next is Xavier. And we have seen in the past, both before and after the shootout, some weird stuff happen, you know, as teams start to, to look ahead to, to what's next and that game on the schedule. Um, they're I think they're going to have a, 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 a dog fight on their hands with, NKU that game. I mean, no, I, I I saw that too, and and especially because there's another element to it is that's that's one of those games where you should win, and all of a sudden, what happens if you go cold, and then it's hard to get a bucket, then the crowd starts getting anxious. NKU's got nothing to lose; they can shoot the ball. Next thing you know, you're down eight or ten in the second half, and you start getting a little tight. Who knows? Yeah. You know, so they're, then not not to, not to mention the uh, you know the tournament they have over Thanksgiving, where you know George Mason is one of those dangerous A10 teams, and then you know after that you play either Ole Miss with Kermit Davis now, or or Baylor who always has some talent. So there's it's just a it's, it, to to end up that non-conference with three losses, I think would be almost you know certifying that they're going to make the tournament this year. But 
like you said, I mean, I I could see five. I mean, I wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if they come out of that non-conference slate six and five or seven and five, whatever it is. Um, or maybe it's eight and five because they'd yeah, be thirteen, be 13 yeah. games. 13 okay, games. yeah. So if they're eight and five heading into into January, it wouldn't surprise me. It just there's so much inexperience and and such a question mark on the shot making front that who knows? So yeah, and I, mean, uh, I, I think you're going to get in conference and you're going to have teams say, you know what? They whipped up on us the past two years, and we yeah, got Memphis. a shot to return the favor. And there, it's going to be. I mean, who? They've done it to pretty pretty much everybody. Yeah, I mean UCF last year they they yeah. really hurt up here. So I, you're going to have SMU is going to be looking for a shot after last year, and and Memphis and UConn uh, they've dominated the UConn series of late. Um, you know that it's not going to be an easy easy ride through this season, but if they can get to 22, 23 wins, given with what the their schedule is i think you find yourself in the tournament um but it's not going to be a smooth ride to another 30 win season there will be turbulence there will be plenty of that and there will be uh the message board will be will be in flames yeah certain weeks and other weeks it's going to be things are rosy and oh my god look how good this guy is and oh well you know a lot a lot of ups and downs i i'm sure yeah, uh, it's going to be fun. It's what we signed up for, right? No doubt. <laughs> you're, you're not. You're not going to just say you've had enough, like mid December, are you? <laughs> I, I, I don't do predictions. Like I, I, I don't do any predictions anymore, except for maybe overall record or something. But now, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is. Uh, you're going to have to. You're going to have to lean on your uh, your Buddhist principles this season, and and you know, stay in the moment and look at the big picture and things and. You know, if they if they do find a way to get enough um, quality wins to get into the NCAA tournament, you have Jaron Cumberland as your alpha, so you're automatically dangerous. Dangerous, especially because by then you would think that the defense should be humming, and um, and then you have then you have a shot to, to you know, maybe salvage uh, what wasn't the most fun season. But there's also chances to win some pretty fun games like Ohio State and Xavier and UCLA. Um, yeah, beat beat Alfred again, and um, so it, it's you got the Penny Hardaway double dip with them, and so there's there's a there's a lot of I mean just to to only end up with nine losses, they're going to have to really be um, on their p's and q's defensively, and um, and and take care of the ball like they never have, and uh, hopefully they they make a few shots. Yep, that's going to wrap it up. I think uh, I'm, I'm about tapped out, you. I'm good. I'm ready for a little – I'm going to lay down a little bit and let, let mommy hang with the baby. Maybe <laughs> I can grab, 20, grab a little 20-minute nap. A little, a little daddy nap. Yeah. Hit, hit the couch, pull the covers up. All right, All right man. He's, that's going to wrap it up. Thanks, as always, to 513 Shirts. Thanks to the fine folks at Trace Pontas. He's Justin Berg. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you Wednesday at the newly renovated Fifth Third Arena as the Bearcats take on the Buckeyes to kick off the 2018-19 season. We'll talk soon. Actually, we'll talk tomorrow when Dave Simone and I uh, get a look at this week's upcoming football contest with South Florida. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.